chapter 16. We are in the life of Abraham, and as we're journeying through Abram, Abraham, I use those interchangeably, even though there is a point in time where his name is changed. But as we're journeying through his life, we're now in chapter 16. The last time we were together a few weeks ago, we talked about the experience where Sarah decides and has a plan, and, and Abraham agrees with it that uh, they would help God out. And remember, one of the key elements of that is God doesn't need your help. Uh, whenever you think you're going to help God out, that's not going to be good news for you. So just instead of helping him out, just trust. We'll talk about that a little bit tonight. Just trust. But they didn't. They're going to help him out. And, and how they were going to help him out is that she had a maid servant named Hagar, a servant, an Egyptian servant. And he, she said, why don't you just take Hagar and go and have relations with her and have a child by her who'd be like my child and, and that'd be the lineage, that'd be the descendant God had promised where you'll have the, uh, you know, the offspring as many as the stars in the sky. And Abram just kind of agrees with that and says, okay, why, I don't know. He wasn't thinking very well. He, he took face value that, that his wife really wanted him to do that whenever in reality of it, she really didn't want him to do that, but uh, he wasn't smart enough to figure that out. And so he has a relationship with her. Hagar uh, gets pregnant and conceives. And whenever that happens, it says she begins to despise Sarah. And, uh, and that is to consider her of no value or to elevate herself, her position above her mistress, uh, Sarah, which she shouldn't have done. And when that happened, you remember what Sarah did? She comes to, to Abram and says, this is all your fault. You remember that? This is, this is all your fault. Why did you do this? Why did you mistreat me by agreeing to this, to this setup we had? And Abram said, you do whatever you want to that servant Hagar. And, and she goes and mistreats her. And where we ended up is Hagar had left and had run away. So we'll pick up there beginning in verse number 7. Uh, well, a little bit before that. But I, I want you to focus on this. I, I read this passage we're dealing with tonight. I, I was impressed by the number two, all right? There, there are two of a, a number of things I want you to see, and then one three. So we're going to focus on about four or five twos, and then we're going to focus on a three. Y'all got that? You think you can handle that? I didn't give you ten or twelve. I knew you couldn't handle that. But I, I knew you could handle these groups of two. So I want to talk about some groups of two and a group, uh, uh, one final group of three. The first group of two that I want us to look at tonight is... There were two women involved in this story, right? Two women. Now, here's how we describe those women. The first of those women was Sarah. Sarah, if you just put an arrow under Sarah, this is a list of all her characteristics, all right? Sarah was the wife of Abram, and she was a Hebrew. She was his, the wife from his youth, all right? She was a Hebrew. She was barren. We learned that. She's been unable to have any children. Even though she's at this stage right now about 75 years of age, she's probably beyond childbearing years, she is barren. So that's when she decides she's going to seek to help God out. All right, She's going to seek to help God out. And she does that by offering. She makes an offer. She offers Hagar to Abram. That Hagar would go and have a relationship with Abram. Well, there was an agreement that was brought together. Both Abram and Hagar would agree to that. They came together, and she conceived. 
And when she conceived, she began to despise Sarah. So what did Sarah do? Sarah mistreated her. Write that under there. After the, the conception, the offer was made conception, she mistreated her. And whenever she mistreated her, Hagar's going to run away. Sarah gladly lets her go. She gladly lets her go. So that's under Sarah. Now, the second woman in this story is Hagar. Under her, write these things. Hagar is a servant, and she's an Egyptian servant. There's kind of an irony there. You you remember whenever whenever Abram and Sarah went into Egypt? Remember they went over there because there was a famine? And and then he told her to act like you're my sister, tell him you're my sister. And and Pharaoh takes her and all this stuff, and it it looks like Pharaoh's going to marry Sarah, and, and God comes along and says, you better send her back because that's his wife. Well, that, that was all dealing with an Egyptian, Pharaoh, almost taking her, having a relationship with her. Well, here they turn around, and you got Hagar, who is what? An Egyptian servant. <laughs> an Egyptian servant. And what happens with Hagar? Hagar is not barren, but obviously she's fertile. Right? She's the servant of Sarah, and she's going to be fertile. And when Sarah offers Hagar to go into Abram, Hagar accepts that. She accepts that that position, all right? And so she goes in there, and whenever she goes in, she conceives, and she is now pregnant. And whenever she's pregnant, her response is that she despised her mistress. She looks down on her, and, and she basically thinks she is going to supplant her. In other words, if, if Abram's supposed to have all these children and Sarah can't have the children, then who is going to have them in her mind? Who's going to be the, the, father, the mother of all his children? She thinks it's her. So she elevates herself above that, considers Sarah of no value, even though she was the true wife, the wife of the youth, and she despises her. And whenever she despises her, that's when Sarah comes back and mistreats mistreats Hagar, and what does Hagar do? Hagar runs away, all right? She runs away, and that's where the story picks up tonight. So there are two women that are involved in this story. Now, there are a couple truths that I want you to write down that you need to learn from this truth, from this story here, okay? Here's the first thing. God created man for a monogamous relationship. Write that down. God created man to have a monogamous relationship, or to put that in plain English, he planned for one man and one woman. Amen? That wasn't a real good amen. You you guys agree that one woman is enough. One woman for... for, Okay, I heard that. And and you women agree that one man is enough. Amen? That wasn't very strong. One man... God planned for there to be a one-man, one-woman relationship. Now, you know that from the very beginning, right? And how is that? Because when God created Adam, he created Eve to be his helpmate, but he didn't create Eve and Sue and Sarah and Mary. He didn't create all those, did he? He just created one. And, and that monogamous relationship is, is, con- continues on in the book of Genesis. You remember when Noah, Noah gets on the boat, who gets on the boat with him? Noah, his wife, and his three sons and their wives. There were eight people on that boat. 
Every one of those are monogamous relationships. That's the way God intended it. The first step over into polygamy is right here. This is the first step towards polygamy. And, and what is that? Well, he's married to Sarah, but in reality he is going to take on Hagar and marry her in that sense of having a relationship with her, having children by her. And now he has two women, two women in his life, two women who are making up his family, and that means trouble. That's trouble. So right there, it's telling us that, that this polygamy and having multiple wives is not God's desire. Now, throughout Scripture, you find out, in especially the Old Testament, that there were a number of people who had two wives. Jacob had Rachel and Leah. Did they get along all the time? Go back and read it. There, he never intended there to be multiple wives for men because there's automatic trouble. There would be friction there, and there would be jealousy there, and there would be the point where one elevates himself above the other or considers himself more important than the other because they had children or didn't have children or how many children they had, and there would be this jealousy and conflict within the family. And so this story lets us know from the very beginning when it brings about these two women in Abram's life that it's not smooth sailing. It's trouble to the point that one so mistreats the other that that servant girl runs off. And it's going to run away and to get away. So if anybody tries to argue with you, as the Mormons would try to be a proponent of, that it's okay to have multiple wives, God never intended that. God never intended that. Matter of fact, one of the interesting statements in all the Bible is that Solomon was the wisest man in all the world and he had hundreds of wives. Hold on a second. Those two things are not equal. How would that, and, and, but what happened to Solomon? What did those wives do to him? They turned his heart, what? Away from God. Away from God. So this helps us to know that that monogamous relationship is God's plan. All right? Anything different brings jealousy and friction. A second truth that I emphasized the last time we together, but I want to emphasize again, and that is be patient when God has a plan. What was the problem? Sarah is not patient. She's not waiting to fulfill his plan. She's going to help him fulfill his plan. So most of you have heard this statement. It says, don't just sit there. Do something. Isn't that the statement we've heard? Don't just sit there. Do something. All right? Now, I want to tell you, when it comes to waiting on the plan of God and, and seeking the will of God, that is not your marching orders. This is what you write down. Don't just do something, sit there. Don't, don't just do something, don't, don't try to help God out, don't, don't fill in the gaps. Just sit there and wait for God to do it. God will do it in His timing. And when God does it in His timing, it will be perfect and it will be right. Amen? Now, what I don't understand about Abram, and I don't understand about Sarah, and I don't understand about this story is didn't someone see the potential problems and conflicts in this? Wouldn't you think somebody had, could say, man, I don't think that's a very good idea. <laughs> For you to go and have a relationship with a servant girl and have a child by her and Sarah's sitting over here, I, I don't, somebody should have stood up and said, I, I don't think that's a real good idea, but no one does. 
and they go through this plan. All right? And what happens? She expecting. She despises Sarah. Sarah mistreats with the permission of Abraham, mistreats her to the point that Hagar says, I've got to run away. All right? So we pick up the story, and Hagar is, has run away. Verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they shall be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. And he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of all his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, Thou art a God who sees. For she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Ber Lehi Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, who Hagar, Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. All right, we talked about two women. Next thing I want to talk about are the two questions from the angel. Look what happens here. The angel of the Lord comes to Hagar when she is running away. She's by that spring, by sure. And he asks her two questions in verse number 8. Here's the question. Hagar, Sarah's maid. Number one, where have you come from? That's an important question. Hagar, where have you come from? What have you been doing? What's been going on in your life? What brings you to this place by this brook, by this water, sitting here contemplating and wondering what's about to happen next? What brought you here? It's a great question. But that's only his first question. Look at the second question. And where are you going? And the answer to that is she has no idea. No idea. Could I pose this to you that, that many times in our lives when we come to a point of quandary and we're wondering and trying to seek God's will, did you know that you can have those two, same two questions asked of you? Where have you come from? What, what, brought, you, what brought you here? What, what's, what's caused you to be here at this place? Now, don't you know Hagar is feeling sorry for herself? She's wounded, mistreated, doesn't know what's going to happen to her. All she did was go along with the plan, and, and, and all of a sudden all this happened. What got you here? What caused you to be here? That's a very important question whenever things in your life are in that place of, I said, a quandary. It's much like whenever God asked the old uh, prophet Elijah. You, you remember the story of Elijah, don't you? 
whenever he is on Mount Carmel and man, he's he's winning the great victory until until Jezebel tells him that I'm gonna kill you by tomorrow. I'm gonna kill you by tomorrow. And then what did he do? He he ran. He ran and he, and he, and he hid out in the wilderness and until God woke him up. He's begging to die, remember? And God woke him up and told him to go to the mountain of God, Mount Horeb. He takes the mountain of God. What was the question, what was the question he asked of Elijah? Elijah, what are you doing here? <laughs> what, 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 are, what are you doing here? It's exactly the same question he asked Hagar. Where have you come from? What has caused you to be here? Well, the angel of the Lord knows more than she knows. <laughs> and he's going to help her to see that in just a moment. But the second question is very important too. And, and where are you going? Where, where are you hoping to get to? What's going to be the answer to this problem? What's going to be solve this thing for you? Where are you? Those two questions are so very, very important. And I promise you, in your life, whenever you get to a place sometimes, if you'll listen carefully, those t- same two questions God's going to ask you. Well, hey, how'd you get here? How'd you get here? What, what did you have to do with it? What brought you to this place? And by the way, where are you going? Where are you wanting to be? What are you wanting to achieve? Two very important questions that who asked? Not man. Who asked those questions? The angel of the Lord, God himself, (laughs) asking those questions of her. Now, whenever he asks the two questions, then he gives two words of instruction. Look at the words of instruction. In verse number 9, listen. She said to him, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. In other words, Sarah's about to kill me. And I've got to get away from it. Here's the words of instruction, verse 9. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Number one, return to your mistress. Number one, you've got to return. You're not going to run away from this. You're not going to go hide. You're not going to go to Egypt. You're not leaving. What you've got to do is you've got to return to your mistress. You've got to return to Sarah. That's the number one thing you've got to do. And number two, verse 9, and you must submit yourself to her authority. You must humble yourself and treat her as she deserves to be treated as your mistress, as one who has authority over you. You are to respect her. You're not to despise her as you have done before. Two words of instruction that you have to what? You have to go back to her. You can't run from the problem. You can't hide. And you've got to go back with the right heart attitude. And that right heart attitude is you have to submit yourself to her authority. Submit yourself. Now, you think that might have been hard? You, you think that might be hard? Yeah. None, none of those things are easy. It, it wasn't easy for her, and it wouldn't be easy for you. Well, you got... Hold on a second, do you know, you know what she did to me? You know how she treated me? You know what she said about me? This is all her plan. All I was is in there, and now I'm the one who's the bad person. You ever heard any excuses like that? You ever heard yourself making excuses like that? When God says, go back and submit yourself to that authority. That's the word of instruction. Two of them. Well, then there are two promises he makes her. What are the two promises? Here's the first one in verse number 10. 
Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, here's the first promise, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they shall be too many to count. What? First promise. I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they are too many to count. Hold on a second. Who, who did he say that to earlier? Who did he say that to earlier? He said that to Abraham. Remember that? When Abraham said, Abraham said, uh, I don't have anybody to be to, to be carry on my inheritance. Uh, the one who would inherit mine is, is his slave Eliezer. And God took him outside. Remember, God told him, said, hey, look up in the sky. See those stars? Uh, through your own body, there's going to be somebody that's going to come. Not Eliezer, somebody's going to come through your own body and is going to have so many descendants, they're more than the stars in the sky. Isn't that what he told him? He told Abram that about people of promise. But what does he tell, who does he, he doesn't tell this to Abram. He tells this to Hagar. Almost the identical, almost the identical words. What, listen to what he, again. I will greatly multiply your descendants. In other words, she's going to be the matriarch of this group of people who are going to have so many descendants that you can't count them. There are too many to count. Out of you, Hagar, out of you, this one that's going to be born to you, there are going to be so many descendants that they can't be counted. And he goes on and tells her how. He says, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. So he said, you're going to have all these descendants. Now, we know who are the descendants of Hagar, the Arab people. The Arabs, okay? So all the Arabs, and how many are they? More than you can count. More than you can All the Arab people are, yes, out of the lineage of Abram. He was the father, but the real matriarch was Hagar. Was Hagar. Because, see, in the mind of God, Ishmael and all his descendants are not a part of of God's promise plan. It only comes to that child of promise who's Isaac. Now, if you wonder, oh, wait a minute, he loved Ishmael. Matter of fact, there comes a time he says, Lord, for Isaac's born, Lord, just take, let Ishmael be it. Let, let Ishmael, he loves Ishmael. But Ishmael is not the child of promise. Who's the child of promise? Isaac. And God doesn't consider Ishmael as being a part of the lineage of promise. He's of the lineage of Hagar, of the flesh, uh, of the choice they made, not the choice of faith. Now, how do you know that? Because whenever it comes to time, when they take Isaac, he takes Isaac up to worship on the mountain where he's going to offer him on the sacrifice, altar of sacrifice. What did God say to Abram? Go read it when you get home. Here's what he said. Take thou thy son Isaac, thy only Son. What did God say about Isaac? He's the only son. Because he's the only son of promise. He's the only son that was God's plan. This was their plan. But God blessed them. Blessed Hagar. Going to have all these descendants. All the Arab people. Fulfilling that. And they are there. Here's the second promise about that. 
This is what he said in the second promise there in verse 12. And he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of all his brothers. The Arabian desert is what it would be talking about. That's where the Arabs come from. And he's going to be what? A wild donkey man? What do you mean that? He's going to be in conflict. He, he's in conflict with himself. He's, he's in conflict with his brothers. He in, in con- There's just something about him in the flesh that was made of the flesh that causes him to, to be in conflict. And, and now that doesn't mean Arab people can't get saved. Amen? I've met Arabs that are redeemed and been forgiven and, and everything. But apart from that, left to themselves, they're going to fulfill the prophecy that they're going to be wild donkey of people. They're going to be that. And she, he said, this is what's going to be birthed from you. So, you have the two women, you have the two questions, you have the two words of instruction, and the two promises. Now, the last thing I want you to see is I want you to th- see three important names. All right? In this passage, I want you to see three important Now, why, why is that important? Because remember, progressive revelation, progressive revelation is that we start in the book of Genesis... And, and God begins to reveal himself of who he is. I mean, those people don't know anything about, about God. We're so blessed, aren't we? We're on this side of the cross. We get to see, know what God's like because we see it in Jesus. Right? And, and we know so much about it because we've got the Word of God. Those people don't have the Word of God. They didn't have Jesus. They're just learning about God along the way. So how does God reveal himself progressively? How, how does he let himself be known? Many times by names that he has given. Names that are given to him or names that he gives to someone or names he gives. Those names of God are so very, very important. I challenge you, you've probably done that before, but I challenge you to study all the names of God. Go and study that. Experiencing God, I remember Blackaby and his experience of God, I think there was one page on the back of that where he gave the names of God. It's, it's worth the book just to get the names of God, all right? But, but he gives those names in order to reveal who he is. Here there are three names that are very important to identify God. The first one is found there in verse number 10. Or verse 11, I'm sorry. This is what it says. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. And what does Ishmael mean? Look in the reference in your Bible. If you've got a cross reference there in your Bible, it'll tell you that that name literally means God hears. Now, that's important. Ishmael means God hears. He's saying, Hagar, I want you to know something. Whenever you cry, whenever you have a need, whenever you want, God is a God who hears. He's not some idol sitting on some shelf that has ears that cannot hear and a mouth that cannot speak and a nose that cannot smell. He is a God who hears, and He's busy wanting to hear you. Isn't that great to know? Isn't it great to know today, not years ago, but we know today that our God hears our prayers. He hears our cries. Our God has a relationship where He wants to hear us. How do we know that? Because Hagar was talking to God, and God said, Listen, when you name him Ishmael, I want you to remember when, every time you call his name that I am a God who hears. 
I am a God who hears. Well, the second name is found over in verse 12. Uh, verse 13. Look what it says. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. Now look, look in your cross-reference again, if you've got it right there. And the Hebrew word is the word Elroy. Elroy is a name for God. All right? And what does Elroy mean? She tells you right here. Thou art a God who sees. <laughs> in other words, he's not just a God who hears Ishmael, but he is Elroy. He is a God who sees all things that are happening. He sees over the whole of creation. He sees what's intimately happening in that person's life. He knows exactly where Hagar is. He knows exactly what she's facing. He knows exactly what his will is for life. He sees every time she would call his name Elroy. It reminds her he's a God who sees. Then in verse number 14, the third and final word, title, name. Therefore the well was called Ber Lehi Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. Now, what does that mean? It's found there in your cross-reference. It is the well of the living one who sees me. That's the name of the well. This well is the well of the living one. Wait a minute, hold on a second. He's not just God, he's who? He's the living God. He, he's alive. A living God. Is it important to you that your God is alive? Is it important that your God is, has relationship, has capacity? Is it important that your God hears? Is it important your God sees? It says, this God is a living God, and he's the living God who sees me. Now, that might not be important to you, but she says, he's not just Elroy, a God who sees everything, he is the God who is living and sees me. He, he, knows, he knows exactly where I am. He knows exactly what I need. He, he sees and is intimately involved in my life. Isn't that one of the most magnificent things in all of creation? What are there, six or seven billion? I can't keep up. Six or seven billion people on, on the face of the earth right now. And God, all those, all those billions of people on, on the face of the earth but God knows intimately what's happening in my life. There's not one tear that I shed that he's not aware of. There's not one moment of rejoicing that he doesn't, isn't included in. He's a living God who sees me. And it's important that he sees. It's important that he hears. It's important he's living. But it's especially important that he hears sees, and is alive towards me. Those three, those three names speak volumes. In just one episode, with Hagar meeting the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord said, let me reveal who God is. Let me reveal who God is to you. Now think about that. <laughs> that runaway servant girl, Egyptian, who, who really wasn't doing the right thing by having relations with Abram and having a child by him. Wounded, hurt, everything, all, all those things. And here comes God Almighty just to move into her life. 
give her promises, to give her truth, to give her instruction, and to set her back on the path. And she'll never be the same because she met the living God who hears, who sees, and who sees her. That makes a difference. Thank you, Lord, for truth. Speak to our hearts. Help us to apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.